The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Paul here. Surprise! I know we weren't supposed to come back till the fall, but I just couldn't resist carrying on this wonderful show tradition of a best of episode, at least one, during the summertime here. I know we normally do a few of these things, but you know, we're trying to vamp less and really raise the bar. So I have been in the bar in my mind for the majority of this quarantine. I could be drunk now recording this for all you know. For all James knows, he doesn't even know I'm doing this. It's all a surprise. But I thought it'd be fun to take a look back at a couple clips from some of the extended interviews that we got up to this past season four on the Third Men podcast. You know, James and I are about to start recording season five this weekend with an all new extended interview. And I won't tell you who it is because that would be um, spoiling the surprise, you see. But we had a lot of people on the show this past year. So I'm just going to go in and narrate a few of these different interviews that we've had, take you on a walkthrough, show you some of the bits that we enjoyed from those. And I guess we'll start here with Third Man Records recording artist and you know musician that James and I just really admire, Ms. Olivia Jean. We uh, had her on for the season four debut. And I pulled a couple clips here talking about some of Olivia's songs and some of her history with the Black Bells, as we know, she was with the Black Bells before recording as a solo artist. So, you know, why don't we go in and take a listen to some of that here? It was a really great interview with Olivia. We'd like to thank her again for joining us. And ah, here you go. Shelby and Ruby all had really similar styles. I guess you would say goth, but kind of poking fun at it in yeah. a way. Yeah. You know, I had a locket with Nosferatu in it, <laughs> like that kind of thing, you know. So we all had like that same style. And then Jack White had these hats mm-hmm. and they're the Black Bells hats. He collects hats <laughs> and he saw them at a factory and they were blanks. So they were the hats before they got pressed and steamed really? into the shape of a like a fedora. 
So that's uh-huh. what the hat looks like before it's shaped. And then he had those, and he was like, okay, you can, like, you guys wear these hats. And we're like, okay, cool. <laughs> Why not? So we wore the hats, and then it just became our thing, which was cool. Yeah. We didn't have to do our hair, which was nice. Yes. And uh, <laughs> a lot of extra work. <laughs> yeah. And then um, when we were in the studio, the whole, like, the, I guess we had, like, a witch theme, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a broom in the studio. <laughs> and I said, and I took the broom and I said, we should be witches. Okay. And it just happened. Yeah. But um, all three of us already had that style going. So it wasn't put together by somebody else. Okay. But Jack is responsible for the awesome hats. Okay. Because uh, yes. the way I was picturing it was, uh, was some kind of Wiccan coven all got together. And that was the aesthetic I got and uh, so it's nice to see that you saw a broom and decided (laughs) (laughs) and it wasn't even a creepy broom it was like a bright red just like lame broom oh man anyway Uh, that's how it happened see yeah mysterious Uh, and dark isn't it I mean a modern (laughs) what would a modern witch fly on aside from like a broom from Target uh, is (laughs) maybe like a Segway or a scooter exactly a Vespa yeah a Roomba (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's constantly bumping into other objects it doesn't fly you're still on a regular Roomba but it's yeah (laughs) (laughs) let's say Roomba yeah We've heard tales of the Black Bells living out of one house in Nashville while recording and touring to build camaraderie. Did any songs evolve out of those close quarters? That was our rehearsal space. Our rehearsal space was in the attic. Okay. And so I would write I would write the songs, and then the uh, Ruby and Shelby would come in, and they would... I, I had kind of all the parts already written out, mm-hmm. and then they would come in and play the, the parts I had written and kind of put their own flair onto it. Okay. They contributed a ton. I was the main songwriter, though. They contributed their their style. Okay. Yeah, that attic was nasty. It was... (laughs) We just... Me and Ruby, when we moved down to Nashville, we were just so happy to have found a place that we could afford. Mm -hmm. Little did we know that attic was covered in black mold. Uh, It was... There was no air conditioning. Mm-hmm. And actually, the reason we had to move out is because the roof caved in. Oh, cool. In that attic. <laughs> so we wrote and rehearsed in that attic. And I miss it, actually, a lot. Yeah, that was so much fun having, like, that one house where all of us hung out. And we would do our haircuts on the front porch, cut each other's bangs. <laughs> no joke. Yeah, it was really fun. Well, this sounds like a sitcom uh, it's with a <laughs> twist in that there's a black mold villain, you know, lying somewhere in the house. I'm glad you escaped without any respiratory illness or, you know, roof caving in on you guys. Oh, my God. Were you in the house when that happened? <laughs> yeah. You w- that was kind of the last straw. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Me and Ruby did get sick a lot. and Yeah, I guess 
Yeah, we just didn't know any better. I mean, we were just excited to have our own place. If that <laughs> if that wasn't the last straw, I would be very curious what was because if the roof collapsed and you're just like, well, I guess we could still live here. Yeah, we would have totally still lived there. I mean, <laughs> and I drove past that house where it was the other day, and they tore it down. Ah, such a shame. Dang. Yeah, but yeah, it probably should have <laughs> kept the energy, and that's yeah, what matters. Yeah. Uh, the house lives on in the bells, but um, yeah, some of that black mold probably is still on our hats. You know, we yeah, you know, the memories are still there. <laughs> Carrying it from place to place <laughs> like some kind of Johnny Appleseed for black molds. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you play a lot on Jack White's first album, Blunderbuss. You play on eight out of the thirteen tracks on that album, which is yeah, a huge contribution to that record. I didn't realize I had played that much <laughs> on it. <laughs> Three of the eight tracks, you're just in the background, just fiddling away, and Jack decides to keep it on there. Yeah, well, I mean, with me, it's, like, such an honor to work with them and and anything. Like, I was just like, you just call me, and I will be there. Like, yeah. call me, I will drop everything and be there. Yeah. So they had me on a lot of sessions. I'm really lucky. Well, that album is a career highlight. A lot of people consider it one of his best. And your work is partly responsible for that. It's some great stuff on there. Any fun memories of those sessions that you can share? Uh, I'm assuming no roofs collapsed during those sessions, but... No, unfortunately, they're not as cool as we are. <laughs> not, you know, not as dangerous. Yeah. Uh, I did bring a little black mold. <laughs> just to, you know to give a touch of home you know yeah, yeah. no but um i guess like the most interesting experience it was the do you know blues on two trees oh yeah the b-side to i'm shaken one of me and paul's favorites yes yeah mine too i love it that was a really fun experience because what jack wanted he didn't know what he wanted the percussion to sound like or the sounds to sound like he mm-hmm. had us all take a random instrument and I think there were like 10 of us I don't even remember there were a lot and we were all in a circle okay mm-hmm. we were all like facing each other in a circle okay and we would go one by one like say like I would play one note on my instrument next person next to me play something next person and then go around the circle and everyone just keep randomly playing something something didn't have to make any sense towards Wow. You know, the music. So we were all in a circle with different instruments, just kind of like experimenting with sounds. That was really cool. Trees stand still, they don't move, you see. That's more commitment than you'll get from me. So quit pretending you got love for thee and leave me a me. So you guys were all in the same room for that song? Like, I, I'm assuming there was a little bit of overdubbing or tracking with that as well but you guys were just all in the same room doing that song Mm -hmm. it was really fun did so were you there when he when he was shouting leave because that is one of the no the most visceral things i've heard him shout on a song yeah i love it um no i we weren't in the room when he did the lyrics it was he did that after the music was recorded it was more of like an experiment Really, I think he was experimenting and seeing what would come from it. I mean, you could draw a lot of connections between that and Boarding House Reach. So that, I mean, that song is very hip hoppy in style and uh, along with the experimental kind of rock. And it's incredible that you got to play on that one. Mm-hmm. 
so the song in two that one i guess you know listening to it i got the impression that you were wrestling with like indecision or second guessing i was wondering if it was maybe even a reflection on life in the music industry so i guess my question on this one is twofold is that at all what this song is about or if not what is it about and can you tell us a little bit about what it's been like navigating the music industry because it's a tricky journey from what we gather Well, you're really good at analyzing lyrics because that is what it's about. It's kind of like there are a lot of hardships in music that you go through and you sometimes, you know, I'll never stop playing music, but there are a lot of times when you question, can I really handle how intense, you know, it is to be on a platform like that? Is it going to change me? I don't want to feel like I need to write for people's approval. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that is kind of what it's about. So, yeah, good job. Man. Hey, well, that'll, that'll be another $30, please. Thank you. <laughs> Dang it. Uh. <laughs> I'm trying to buy some guitar pedals for tour, man. <laughs> I, you, no one told you this was going to be expensive. I apologize. Um, So next up on the docket, we had uh, an interview with another Third Man Records recording artist, uh, Lily Mae Rishi, and I had the pleasure of being able to conduct this interview in person at one of her performances out here in Los Angeles, and it was really fun. It was kind of a crowded scene at the time when I conducted the interview, but she was so personable and lovely and spent some uh, spent some time talking to me here. So we're going to play this one in its entirety because it's not terribly long. She had a set to perform, you see. But uh, a lot of cool tidbits from Lily Mae in here, and we loved her new record, Other Girls, which uh, came out last fall. So if you haven't picked that up yet, you should. And anyway, here's the interview.
So we really love Forever and Then Some, super awesome album. How soon after Forever and Then Some were you working on the new record? Oh, it was well over a year, probably a year and a half. With all the touring and stuff? Um, I think Forever and Then Some we did in April 2017. Yeah. And we recorded September, October... And we were wrapped up by November of the new album. So that's like a year and a half almost. So were you writing a lot on the road? Um, I just write whenever it comes. So that happens a lot. It does. It happens a lot when driving. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Okay. But I was never writing anything. I wasn't writing specifically for a new record. I don't do that. I just, I just write as it comes through me. Okay. Awesome. Um, we really love uh, so Honky Tonks and Taverns is my favorite song off the Forever and Then Some thank you at the beginning of that you have a little like you say something like what did the snake do to her yeah. what's the rest of that okay so that was <laughs> Jill Jack's assistant she everyone was like you know in the control room they were talking about her there was a snake outside oh, okay. or something you know and they were like ah snakes you know <laughs> and Jill was like I hate snakes I can't no snakes for Jill you know and I I was like what did a snake do to her okay, basically like you get raped by a snake or something <laughs> you know mystery song yeah um, so what was it what was it like working with a different producer other than Jack on this one now I, we know you did Rain on the Piano with a different producer as well but yeah. was it an adjustment with that somebody was Johnny there? Sandlin Johnny Sandlin was uh, he produced the Allman Brothers first albums holy shit he was in Hourglass yeah. and in the Allman Joys with the Allman Brothers before they were the Allman Brothers and when I lived in Decatur, Alabama I lived on his floor for a bit and yeah. he was a became a dear friend and he's passed away now but he produced Widespread Panic and like loads and loads of people through the years and that was just something I happened to be living in the area and I got to record that for free and they, they were really good to me yeah. um, he and his wife Anne um, I had no idea that's yeah. amazing uh, yeah. Wash Me Clean's on that one too right yeah. um, it was and you know I had my ex-boyfriend was involved with that oh okay and um, don't care for him in one pinch and he's um, not a very good person and unfortunately like I was just like I don't want to sell this record I don't want this record to be available to anyone I love Johnny and I'm, and I'm grateful for the times I got to spend with Johnny, but I didn't want that album to be available anyway. Anywhere. It, it wasn't me. It was it was someone else. Different person. Yeah. yeah. I mean, relationships can do that to you. Yeah. That was... My ex-boyfriend was in total control of that album, so I was like, nah. Well, that's <laughs> not... That wasn't me. Yeah. So that's why you can't find that one anywhere. But, um, no, I mean, you know, I would never compare Jack or Dave. Yeah. They're incomparable. Different kind of stuff. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, recording at Jack's place, I was always super comfortable working there. I recorded there for years. Yeah. And yeah. Um, Dave, you know, was, you know, it was, it was, uh, we, you know, he was very professional. We go in and make, you know, we go in and do this, do these tracks live and, you know, like very different from working at Jack's where you just kind of have, you're in the backyard, you right, know? Right. You're just like, <laughs> it's home. There's a lot of, very, a lot of differences I would never compare the two. How about uh, harmonizing with them, like Temporary Ground and Alone in My Home? Or, I, mean, I, I loved playing with Jack very much. I had a, I had always always had great times playing with him, and I loved singing with him. That's awesome. Fun times. Awesome. Well, one more one more question. I know you're getting ready for the gig, but 
We really love your old gypsy stuff, too. Any chance of that coming out on Third Man at all? Oh, no way. (laughs) (laughs) No. Third Man would never have that. Oh, come on. They wouldn't. Um, No, gypsy, um, you know, my family band continues. Like, my family will probably always play together if they're able. As long as people are able to play. But, like... Gypsy was uh, we we can't even use the rights to Gypsy because oh, like really? Sony like we were with Sony for like seven years but we don't own the band name even oh. so yeah so f- them too nah <laughs> everyone's all right I'm, awesome. I'm always like you know back I was like the label I was like you know we were with Sony for like seven years but I was like they paid for me to go to the dentist and like oh. they took you know they all took right. pretty good care of us so. I will never, I will, you know, made some great contacts back then, too. Fair enough. Yeah. uh, They're all right. (laughs) We love your stuff. Thank you so much for, uh, we were happy to hear the announcement of the new record. And also the insane fiddle you have at the end of that Raconteurs album. (laughs) My sister Scarlett is on that, too. Oh, yeah. no. uh, So were you you dueling during that? Or how was that going? Were you going going at the same time? We were, yes. Was that live with the band? It wasn't. No, No, they had done it already. They were all there, though. They were all there for the recording. We did it at Jack studio wow so it was really it was really fun much like your harmony on his stuff it feels like it always had to be there so that's, yeah that's, that's so great. sweet thank so you thank you so much Lily. i appreciate thank that thank you that's so nice yeah. thank you appreciate it yeah thank have you. a good show thank you so much Well, Mr. Sean Cannon is next up here, and he started in conjunction with Third Man Records, an official White Stripes podcast in the past year. And we had Sean on the show. Actually, I conducted this interview in person as well. He came out to uh, Los Angeles, and we, we got together in what was essentially a brightly colored bunker. It was terrifying in there. But we talked to Sean uh, quite a bit about the origins of Striped, the history of the white stripes podcast and about his career in uh, music journalism is a great conversation anyway the clip i pulled here to play for y'all is the game that james and i decided to play with him which is called was that nailed to jack white's wall and the answers will surprise you anyway here you go How about this? You want to play a game? All right. I probably, again, I feel bad for saying that in this room because it feels like I might actually murder you. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. While my voice my voice is rapidly failing on me, so while it lasts, let's play a game. James, do you want to explain yes. the game to Mr. Cannon? Uh, sure. It's called, Was This Nailed to Jack's Wall? Um, not nearly as sexual as you might imagine. Uh, <laughs> we, we say a thing. And then you say whether or not this thing was nailed to uh, Jack White's wall, or if we're making it up. That's pretty much the long and short of it all. What if it ends up being something that you thought you made up, but it's actually <laughs> true? Okay. See, therein lies the rub, because if somebody were to call us out on that, they would be either Jack White or Ben Blackwell. 
and uh, then we'd know they're listening to us, <laughs> and uh, we got them. All right, so we should preface this with we think. I'm just saying because... <laughs> You know, you never, you never know. I based this on things I saw in videos on his wall, specifically the wall, and I based this game around the interview conducted with Wendy Case, <laughs> where she very funnily describes the the instance where she got into a car accident and lost the bumper on her car due to it, and later found out that Jack had nailed the bumper to his wall, <laughs> which. <laughs> Was hands down my favorite moment of the whole show. Oh, oh yeah, of, of all the, it's it, for me, it's a toss up of all those like um, post credit stories. It is a toss up between that and Johnny Walker's oh yeah story about oh, Jack so good. in the Uncle Sam costume. Uncle Sam. But I think hers takes the cake it's for good. me too. Can I just say that Uncle Sam costume winds up on White Stripes posters and. It's the best. <laughs> and really quick, before I, we keep detouring. We, we, we're like bumper cars here. We did a trivia game show with uh, other fans. We brought them on and we did a Family Feud style game show. And one of the trivia questions was what I, I read. It, I read this in a book that Johnny Walker said at one point that he was invited to join the White Stripes. And the book made a point to call out the fact that Ben Blackwell was sitting in the room at the time crying out bullshit as loud as he could. So when I heard that in your <laughs> podcast, I was thrilled that A, that was real, and B, we weren't just spreading lies. <laughs> well, well. so actually, I, I did that interview with Johnny, and then immediately I texted Blackwell, I'm like, hey, he said this. He's like, yeah, it's in a book. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, okay, okay. This is very funny to me. I love this. All right, so Jay, we're gonna we're gonna start this game here again. You have to say if we're lying, if we made it up, or if this was actually nailed to Jack White's wall. Three one dollar bills fixed in the center by some loose nails. That seems so weirdly specific. That I, I'm, it feels made. It feels like that weird specificity of something that's made up. You're right. Okay. That's fake. Okay. It's a fake one. <laughs> All right. Well, you're doing good. All right. Well, you're, we're only one in. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to bat a thousand on the first bat, on the first attempt. Okay. Several framed magazine pages spotlighting Preston Tucker designed cars. Ooh. Ooh. Mmm. Ah, that one is tough. Because, I mean, I know... This is where we find out if I have a tell. <laughs> now he's just waving his arms up and you can't see. He's he put on sudden... the ape mask from earlier. Yes. He's belly dancing with an ape mask. All right. Uh, I'm going to say that's real. You are correct. Two for okay. two. You're good at this. I just, I like that one... Knowing what I know about the appreciation for the Tucker automobile, yeah. Uh, and if you guys listen to the bonus episodes, you probably heard the bit where Blackwell talks about how there actually was one of those in a warehouse, like two blocks away from uh, from Jim Diamond's studio, which is just bonkers. A series of World War One era army helmets, spray painted red and white. Oh man, that one's like a that one's like I I'm literally doing the same eye movement every time. <laughs> there's no there is 
that one is one that just for me there's no divining it there's no like there's no logic behind whether or not it's real you know i'm just gonna i'm gonna say no you can see the reflection of my glasses can't you am i right yes you are right you're right you're right this is okay. like the beginning of Ghostbusters here. I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> well, except I'm getting them right, and you're not getting a. You're not just shots. trying to make out with me after. <laughs> not if we can't, Man. and just like yeah. Yeah. Well, look, the interview's going weird direction. It's weird because I keep getting electroshocked. <laughs> we'll find a strip club. I'll sit behind. It'll be great. <laughs> Ah, flipping the script on me. All right. As long as it's some kind of rustic woodland creature. Now you're gonna be looking at my glasses. I'm not even gonna look at it. All right. I really can't uh, see. I don't all right, all right, all right. All right. A massive taxidermy deer mounted at wall middle so as to leave room for the antlers, which reached all the way up to the ceiling. Now, I know I said one was fake because of the weird specificity, but that sounds real because of the weird specificity. <laughs> like, the detail is not for no reason. The detail doesn't exist for nothing. It exists to tell you why. I'm gonna say yes. Fair enough. You got it correct. You are you are four for four. This is a disaster, James. <laughs> we've done bad, Paul. We've says, done bad. Says you. <laughs> to be clear, most of these are still guesses. Johnny Walker's actual birth certificate. That one sounds real. Fake. <laughs> See, that's the one that sounded so out. That sounds so outlandish that I'm like. That's dumb. Of course it has to be real. I did the dumb one. I'm going to text Johnny tonight and see if that's real. (laughs) Yeah, see, that's the one you guys just might not have known about. Exactly. He's like, no, actually, it was my social security card. Um, Wow. Whoa. That's a really good Johnny Walker impression. (laughs) Thank you. Did I mention we talked for an hour about wasps? (laughs) (laughs) All right. One of those red and yellow play school cars for toddlers. Now, I'm going to say that's a no because it's yellow. Oh, it was up that there. Is ah! That is a real one. It was up there in the video See, I saw. You guys were like, oh, yeah, you're doing so good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A Union Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep, you're right. That was up That there. is correct. Behind Meg's drum kit. Weird. Because he had a, a whole American flag motif for a long time. Right. Um, After we're done, I'll tell you where I pulled all these from. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> right down from Jack's wall. Paul snuck in. Yeah. Stole them all. <laughs> okay. Uh, a white bridal veil with red paint splattered on it. Yes. Fake. Ah, that's a fake. <laughs> um, all right, no, this is the last one, and I've been keeping score. I haven't been keeping score. <laughs> a taxidermied antelope head. Is that what Johnny Walker left in Jack's house? Because I can't remember the details of that because it's that is part of the story in the post credit uh, bit from Johnny Walker where he has a taxidermied blank and lays it on Jack's couch 
And later, Jack finds out that it was yes. That is correct. Is that is it? Was I right correct. about the whole thing? Yeah, it was, was correct. Was it that? Uh, I believe head? it was a taxidermy goat head in the Johnny Walker one. Okay, all right. Okay. Maybe I just thought it was a goat or an antelope. Okay, so here's where I got these from. Um, the uh, wonderful uh, Dan John Miller played Arthur Dottweiler in the two-parter where he plays their manager. Okay. That's all set in Jack's house. And so I was sitting, freeze-framing. <laughs> what is that back there? That's a f***ing deer on that wall. <laughs> Wonderful. That is... I mean, I was playing along for the most part with Sean here. That's fantastic. Uh, next up, oh, it was at the beginning of the pandemic. It was a simpler, simpler, just as deadly time. Joe Ciccarelli, White Stripes and Tours, and Jack White solo producer and engineer joined us to talk about his experiences recording with those different bands and his integral role in what turned out to be some of the most quintessential albums in the Third Man Records canon. And I pulled a clip out from our interview here where he talks a little bit about the recording of Icky Thump and more specifically about Jack and Meg's relationship, which I thought was revelatory at the very least, the kind of perspective you don't hear terribly often from somebody who was in the room uh, with those two when they were recording Icky Thump. So yeah, Joe's career expands obviously a great deal beyond the third man records world, but Joe was kind enough to uh, detail some of this stuff for us. And, you know, we're really happy to talk to Joe. So thanks, Joe, again. And here's the clip. What I love about Icky Thump is it really did signal things to come in his sound. Do you remember him ever, like, lighting up at, a, at an engineering trick you did or something. Is there anything you can hear maybe, I'm not sure if you followed his records since you worked with him, but is there anything you can hear that maybe he picked up from your time working together? Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think he just has always been expanding his palette and, and trying new things. And certainly, you know, when he built the home studio, uh, I'm sure that opened up his mind. And I, I remember going to the studio a couple of times when he was mid-construction and, and him explaining to me, you know, all the different acoustic surfaces that he was putting in the room. And I remember yeah. thinking, gee, Jack, maybe you should just pick one or two <laughs> as opposed to six or seven different kind of acoustic spaces. But it really worked out. That room sounds amazing. And, and yeah. all the solo stuff that he's done there and Dead Weather and everything sounds incredible. Really, yeah. really, really great. Nah, there was a fireplace in Studio D. I can, I can remember one particular story about Icky Thump, the song, and the guitar solo. We had done the, the basic guitars for the song, and it came time to do the solo, and he came in the control room and started doing the solo and was trying a bunch of things and trying his whammy pedal and a bunch of different things, and he was just saying, you know, I'm trying to get something that sounds really sort of chopped up and spastic and, and yeah. just broken. And I said, oh, okay, you know, and we started doing stuff like while he was playing, we would kind of connect and disconnect the cable from the guitar so it would <laughs> oh, cut wow. in and out. 
And then I started using a noise gate to deliberately cut the sound in and out. So it just sounded broken. And Jack was like, wow, that's actually pretty good. That's, that's kind of like almost it. And he said, you know, it's almost like it wants to be the sound of a bad punch-in. You know, when you <laughs> punch in on tape, if you don't get your timing right, you might clip the attack of a note off and it'll sound very unnatural. And so I said to Jack, so I said, well, I can make bad punch-ins. <laughs> he looked at me and went, well, yeah, but let's try it. And that's basically what I did. You know, he would play a lick and I would almost like plugged up my ears and would deliberately punch in a little too early or a little <laughs> too late. So that's why it has that awkward chopped up kind of, sound where you don't know if it's been switched on and off with a mute button on the console or it was played that way or whatever. It's just that the attack and decay of every phrase is a little bit distorted in the sense that it's been truncated. I'll just uh, hear one of his records and it'll be the coolest thing I've ever heard. And when I heard that Icky Thump for the first time, that was, I was like, wow, I think this is the coolest thing I've ever heard. Like, this is amazing. And, and well, I'll, and, I'll tell you another story about that specific song. Please. Before we started the record, Jack and Meg did some rehearsals at Jack's house. And like I said, at the time, Jack was not the master of technology. And the rehearsal tapes were these blown up cassette recordings that were so distorted that you couldn't tell a melody, you couldn't hear a voice, you just heard this big wall of distortion. He kept telling me about this Icky Thumb track, how he thought it was one of the ones that he felt really good about. And one day, we had just finished, oh man, I don't know, Rag and Bone, or, or one of the songs that was much more simple and ballad-like and called for softer, smaller sounds. And he said, okay, I want to do that Icky Thump track. And, and I was sort of like, I don't know what track that is, you know, in my mind. started to play it and the, for the first moment I finally heard that guitar riff in its clarity because the only time I'd ever heard it before was this just fully overloaded cassette tape um, that I couldn't tell what the notes were what the melody was and yeah. I heard that riff for the first time and went oh my god this is a hit this is a hit record right here mm-hmm. 
they jump around at all when they were performing they're pretty animated on stage absolutely yeah in the studio no i i got oh of course i gotta say that (laughs) that their chemistry in the studio is unbeaten i mean they it really is a chemical reaction when the two of them play together there's something about her playing that allows him all this freedom that she goes back and forth with him in terms of his time and his dynamics. And that was just really a powerful, powerful combination. I mean, and and having recorded Jack with Patrick and Carla and uh, some other people, the White Stripes is Megan and Jack. And, um, you know, there really, really is this communication that happens between the two of them. And it's really a wonderful thing to be a part of. Amazing. There's got to be a better way to talk to God and hear say. Well, second to last up here is, you know, we thought it wasn't going to get any bigger than Olivia Jean. We had Brendan Benson on the show, and that was a hoot. Uh, Brendan is promoting his new album, Dear Life, which is out now on Third Man Records. Again, you should pick that up if you haven't already. But Brendan also indulged us a little bit in talking about, well, lots of things. But uh, one of the things that we enjoyed the most was uh, the Beatle talk we got into with Brendan when we pressed him about performing live with Ringo Starr playing a song from Ringo's 1992 opus, Time Takes Time. If Brendan didn't know what our podcast was about going into it, he sure knew what it was about around this point in the interview. Anyway, enjoy. Did Jack give you any insight into why he may have chosen that one to play during the acoustic set? No, no. He, uh, I was, I was surprised to hear him do that as well. Cause, um, I mean, he's famous, well, not famously, but he's done kind of, you know, he's covered my songs in the past, like, uh, 
folk yeah. singer and um good to me yeah so that was strange that he did. and i'd never heard him play that i've heard him play other songs with Macarena, like just when we're kind of sitting around or whatever but yeah, yeah but, so yeah. that was really kind of out of left field but that's him you know he'll just do something totally weird that yeah. you just yeah. wouldn't expect met a girl introduced myself yeah. i said go with me no one else she said i'd really like to see you every day but i'm afraid of what my friends might say you need a bath and your clothes are wrong you're not my type i can tell we wouldn't get along I think I did Sugar Never Tasted So Good because yeah. um, that's kind of one of my favorites to do. Thank you. Thank you very much. I want to do one of Jack's. This is one of my favorite songs of his, all right? Sugar Never Tasted So Good Sugar Never Tasted So Good Sugar Never Tasted Good To Me big white stripes fans and when the rack and tours were happening you know we decided to dig into yourself and the greenhorns and oh, cool. we got the metairie ep first and that was the one we had first from you so there's a special place i think in both of our hearts for that song and and those well-fed boys uh, yeah the well-fed boys that's awesome that's cool that you that you just i like that you kind of found me through jack that's you i mean i don't know that's kind of what i would hope for, you know, like, uh, to, to, uh, help my solo career, you know, that I thought, I always thought the raconteurs was going to really help my solo career. Cause I've been doing, you know, I've been solo long before the raconteurs, right. but ironically it, it really hasn't. It, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that says. <laughs> but, but it has me and Paul, cause we dug in and we dug in deep. That's cool. I'm glad. The songs were so beautiful. Like, and that was the first time I'd heard Alternative to Love. And then I started digging around there. And you chose to cover Let Me Roll It. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, and James and I are huge Beatle fans. And ever since I heard that on that Metairie EP, I've been dying to ask you why you chose to cover Let Me Roll It. I mean, it's not an obvious choice for a cover. It's, you know, a little deep cutty a little bit. You know, it's not a single or something like that. So what is is it about that song that made you want to record it? Well, I think the reason I chose it was because of Paul McCartney's version or Wings' version. I think it's Wings at that point. I don't know if it was Paul McCartney and Wings, but anyhow, I don't even remember what album it's on. But I love it, and it's. But I always thought this is so under. This song is so underrated, man. So like this riff is cool, and I don't know. It's just such a cool song. But 
then I think, did he play it for the Beatles or something? He didn't, but John Lennon wound up nicking the riff for a song of his called Beef Jerky on the uh, Walls and Bridges LP the next year. Yeah. 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 That riff is so badass. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. That song's really fun to play live, too, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's where McCartney tends to excel in Wings, is when he can do those kinds of riffs. Yeah, I'm a, huge, I'm a massive fan of Wings, you know? I mean, I'm a John Lennon fan. I think, you know, I think I, if I'm pressed, I would probably choose Lennon over McCartney. But I'm such a huge Wings fan. I think, I mean, Band on the Run is like one of the best records made. Yeah. Beetle question for you. I hope you don't mind the Beetle talk. I just had one more. It's the Beetle Hour with Brendan. <laughs> no, I don't care at all. You uh, you covered "Don't Go Where the Road Don't Go" at the David Lynch Foundation salute. <laughs> Ringo. So yeah, that was weird. <laughs> well, that was so weird. I mean, you kind of answered my question. What? Like, How was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I don't even know. I mean. Well, I'm like, I'm always happy to go where, if I'm invited to go, like, hang out with a Beatle, yeah, I'm going, right? So, and it was, it's like Joe Walsh and, like, all these guys, man, just all-star cast, yeah. And, right, and then in the end, we're all singing, like, I don't even know, like, we're all singing Happy Birthday to Ringo Starr on the stage, and I'm standing there, and I'm like, oh, what the fuck I'm doing there? <laughs> it was so weird. Oh, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was a, it was just one of those like, uh, you know, set up by my manager, I think, or or by, you know, I don't know what the hell, but because I've been to a couple now, I've been to a couple of Ringo events, and I'm, you know, pretty badass. Just like meet, you know, I all those people. I mean, Joe Walsh, Peter Frampton, you know, uh, the guy from uh, uh, that you were also. Well, kind I wonder if that was killer, man, to meet him, and he he was really cool too. Oh, Still a badass. Yeah, man. A Wizard, a True Star is one of my favorite albums. I like uh, Something Anything. Yeah. And uh, Runt. Yeah, you on the David Lynch Foundation thing for Ringo was surreal for me as well because I think my father called me and said, hey, is that I hear that a lot lately. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that a lot. Like my, oh, yeah, my dad turned me into you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because we, we turned our father into a, a Brandon Benson fan, and he told us up, he's like, hey, is, is that him on there? That's so funny. Because you weren't playing Octopus's Garden or something. You were playing Don't Go Where the Road Don't Go from his 1992 Time Takes Time LP. Well, I was given, let's see, how did that work out? I think I was given songs. We were given a list of songs that we could do, and they had to be Ringo songs, because we all were doing Ringo songs. Right. And maybe, and the list, I don't, I think the list was kind of like, kind of included some songs of like maybe his picks, you know, or I don't know, but cause yeah, that's a weird one. But 
I really dug it. I really dug the song. It's after good. Kind of learning it because I didn't know it. Didn't know it, but but in the end, I was like, yeah, this is a kind of sweet song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 1992, Ringo, right there. Is that is that what that is? <laughs> Somehow it kind of isn't fitting with the fact that I that I also sang on an Iggy a Stooges record, but a Stooges record which was made in two thousand <laughs> two thousand six or whatever. Yeah, it, it counts. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. It's still them. I can't remember two thousand ten maybe. I'm going to go ahead and send you a vinyl copy of Time Takes Time from 1992 so you have uh, a copy of Don't Go Where the Road Will Go. Time Takes Time? Yeah, it's that's a, it's time a, Takes Time? That's the album. It's got a, a few of the Eagles on there, you know. It's got, I think, Timothy B. Schmidt is doing some high harmony in that. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's weird. Like, it was my first concert. I was I saw that tour. Word. Oh, wow. And, that, and so... It was so surreal to be watching Brendan Benson sing that song. I'm sorry. I don't mean to dwell on Don't Go Where the Road Don't Go. It's just weird to me. That's all. <laughs> That's all. That's weird. <laughs> it was weird. Definitely <laughs> dwell-worthy. And last year, we have Mr. Bobby Harlow, who actually showed up on the show twice this year. We're really happy to talk to Bobby. He's wonderful wonderful human and a great musician and he and his band the go um, as well as him with his uh, solo projects and conspiracy of owls have made so many wonderful records and so much great music over the years and bobby joined us to talk about a lot of things but uh, the clip i pulled here was him talking a little bit about one of james and my favorite records howl on the haunted beat you ride how that record sort of came about and also its white stripes connections and and then there's a great story here at the end about how he and fellow Go founder John Krautner were extremely hungover recording uh, some tracks from What You Doin' in Jack White's house. And, uh, well, that's a story you really just kind of have to hear if you haven't already. So check it out. Here's the last clip. played a lot we had played that record you know we toured a lot for that so by the time we did that we were kind of pretty well oiled and relaxed yeah as a matter of fact i think we so we did howl on the hunt beat you right after we came back from england Mm -hmm. which we did um we went on tour with the white stripes um in england and on their elephant tour and we did that and we we were just starting to dabble in what would later be Howl on on a beat you ride with some of those songs and so i think we didn't play great shows with them which i really kind of regret that because we leaned we relied heavily on like earlier stuff like what you doing material and that kind of stuff we relied heavily on that for the most of that white stripes tour and we went on after the white stripes and we kept playing shows in england and then we were so kind of 
I think, frustrated with ourselves after all of that, not really feeling the magic on the stage or not getting anything going, that we started to abandon, sometimes abandon sets altogether <laughs> to such an extreme that, like, for example, one show where it was very poorly attended we just rehearsed the song refrain for the entire show. <laughs> I, so I, wow. I don't know if I'd call it a show, but that was really kind of crazy because we were just so sick of ourselves in a way, I think frustrated. And then we just, we wanted to work on new songs. And so we took refrain and we kept playing it and then stopping it. starting it again and then working it out we just did this for a while and then we just stopped and then some hmm. people clapped or whatever and then some some journalist was there of course right our luck uh, some journalist was there but the funny thing was is that the journalist ended up writing a review saying what a great show it was. So it's like, well, we didn't get any, we got no very, we didn't get any good reviews with the White Stripes tour. We didn't get any. I mean, which eh, was not surprising because, you know, the White Stripes was like everybody's favorite band in that moment. And we were opening, so no one cares that much about the opening band. But um, we really didn't get any favorable reviews. And then we decide to abandon everything we're doing and play one song for an entire show. And that was like our first good review in England. <laughs> um, and then by the time we ended that tour, we were really working out how long on a beat ride. And we had like Smile and we had Refrain. Maybe we were trying to dabble in and put some other songs together. And so then um, – we did the record and then we went on tour for that record and we toured a lot and it, the band became very relaxed and yeah. uh, I liked I liked that band a lot. Well, you could feel it in the music too. Yeah, I liked that band a lot. That that was a good version of that band. The, the howl is is so good. The frustrations led to one of my favorite albums by you guys, and you, like you said, you could feel there's it's even relaxed in the music. It's it feels comfortable like it feels like everybody knows their part and is playing like at the top of their ability i i love that album so much i think i told you last time that and um fiesta those two are they both feel relaxed i know they're separated by quite a bit of time but there's something about those that just really hit the sweet spot for me yeah same but same those are my uh, thanks two of my favorites as well well i mean well we have one more question here bobby we know we've been we told you 30 minutes and we're on an hour 45 here so uh, <laughs> thank wow. you for thank you for bearing with us well, i like for, talking with you guys well thank you uh, uh well, we like talking to you well we you know we thanks. mentioned the white stripes tour and and you know you had called out a couple songs to me that are included on the box set that i thought i would point out for listeners listeners to the program know that jack white was a member of the go for for a hot minute there just prior to the explosion of the white stripes and stuff like that but in this download package we can hear jack white lead vocals on uh turn your little light bulb on which is this is funny so when i was editing our last interview i was searching for hey jip and i knew there was a live version of it because i remembered hearing it and i couldn't find the damn thing until i listened to the whole record through and i realized it is erroneously given the title turn your little light bulb on on the go live at the gold dollar and so (laughs) you pointed that out to me the other day i thought that was super funny because i came to the same realization and i feel like there must have been some reason because blackwell is so buttoned down i feel like there must have been some reason he did that but 
neither here nor there. There is a version of Turn Your Little Light Bulb On here with Jack White lead vocal on one of the box set uh, tracks, and it's excellent on there. So Jack had that guitar riff, and he just wanted to turn it into something. And I started singing Donovan's Hey Jip over it, and it worked. Um, okay. And when you listen to that that live at uh, the Gold Dollar record, uh, I don't. I think we do Psycho too. Yeah, so that's kind of where the band was at at the time. And I was a little disappointed. I, I mean, a lot more than just a little disappointed. I was a, I was very disappointed when I because I'm, I'm really I'm hands off when I, I don't mess around with that third band stuff. You know, whatever they're doing, I really don't get involved. So um, or try, you know, because it's their thing and whatever. But however, when that live at the Gold Dollar thing came out and. And Hey Jip was now titled Turning the Light Bulb On. I was really disappointed in that because I thought that was that was pretty silly. I think I would guess my guess is that it's just maybe a mistake. I don't know. Yeah, it was written wrong on the um, tape or something. What, what was funny, even yeah. more funny to me was that Turn Your Little Light Bulb On really sounds like a proto version of Broken Bricks from the White Stripes debut LP. Okay. And I, when I was listening to it, I was, I was thinking, boy, I wonder, I wonder if there was any hold over there because it certainly sounds like it. Especially if you say that he was just trying to find a place for that lick to go. I wonder if that's what it sort of mutated into over the years. Um, oh, probably right because we didn't do anything with it. Song. So turn your little light bulb on and whatever else is on that box set. Um, uh, but you don't know. But you don't know, yeah. We talked about this maybe last time uh, I was on. We talked about what made it to what you're doing. And the remix, Why Get You Off, wasn't included. Right, because it was just the right. Jim Diamond stuff. Yeah. Right. So if you take Meet Me at the Movies, Susie Don't Leave, Get You Off, You Can Get High, But You Don't Know, and Turn Your Little Light Bulb On, I think that's all of them. I could be wrong. These were the songs that we recorded uh, over at Jack's house on like a four track reel to reel machine. And then it was a really goofy situation because we did all this stuff. And then the next day we were going to come back and record vocals on Uh it. Well, there's two parts of this goofy story. Part one is... I guess me and John ended up going out and staying up till like four in the morning, uh, <laughs> drinking and like having fun and partying uh, under the assumption. I imagine that we would do vocals later in the day. Goofy part number two is Jack, his brother owned the machine and insisted that it was back before like noon or something, you know, (laughs) and there was like no wiggle room. So all of a sudden, John and I find ourselves, you know, on our way to Jack's house to cut these vocals 
and we don't feel good. I mean, we're <laughs> green. And John literally actually throws up, uh, you know, throws up in the bushes on the way into Jackson's. Oh, no. I mean, that's how that's how sick we are. We're really not <laughs> well, doing there. well. <laughs> yeah. I've been there. No, it was a mistake. So we go in and um, – and we just barely make it through these vocals, which is why Meet Me at the Movies sounds so hungover because it really it is. It's very, it's very hungover. And there was stuff that I couldn't do. So like um, – but you don't know. I always took the, the high part in that one and I just couldn't – I couldn't do it. Well, Jack was squeaky clean that day. I mean, he, you know, he was like, he had breakfast already, and, you know, Sunday shoes on and I don't know. And he could sing, you know, he could sing all those parts. So he just said, I'll do them. And I said, you go for it. Just go ahead and do them. So Jack, um, so, so Jack sings, uh, Jack sings uh, the high part in But You Don't Know, which is pretty prominent on that little box set. And, mm. um, and also turn your little light bulb on, which I, by the way, so back to your question. I have no I I have no memory of that. I yeah. have no idea. No reasons why it is this way. Thanks everybody for joining us on this best of episode. As uh, as always, if you'd like to contact us or interact with us on social media, you can do so at Facebook.com slash thirdmen at thirdmencast on Twitter, Tumblr, which I I swear one of these days I'm gonna update thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. We have our website, which is www.thirdmenpodcast.com. We have our Gmail, thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Instagram at thirdmen underscore podcast. Love that underscore. Our show is hosted by ACAST. You can find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash C slash the thirdmen podcast. And please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Uh, good friend of the show, Josh Aiken, set up a URL where you can just, you know, type it into your browser and rate us. It's uh, rateus.thirdmanpodcast.com, so please do that. And as always, we'd like to thank Sam Kubert, Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme songs, as well as Susanna Roundtree for the intros and outros for our program. And as I mentioned, we are back in the studio, <laughs> studio, uh, this weekend, recording the first episode of season five. So we'll be back with more details on that soon. Uh, we're looking forward to another season of interesting talk in and around the world of third man records and thank you to everybody for sticking with us for all these years now it's so lovely of you and especially to everybody who donated to our patreon this past year uh, those patrons include uh, derek ferguson derek forever ferguson michael brookfield the bone brookfield tam davis our third person in spirit Every week, Luke Sinclair, Luke me over closely. Josh Aiken or Joe Shaken all over. Melinda Taylor, send me an angel down. Julia Hickling, the $3 hat, Meg, Stu Cat or Stu Driver. Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation. Brenda Englehart, we want to be the boys to warm your Englehart. We have Yvette Wilkins, Wilkins on Sunshine. The Brett Three killed Mike Garski. Elizabeth Myers, one eye, one blank stare, looking up Myers there. We have Melinda Endress, you look pretty in your fancy Endress. And Shane Ben, Jam Session or the Shane boy you've always known. So thank you to everybody who donated to our Patreon. There'll be an ad at the end of the show to tell you how to do that. Until then, we'll see you back here for season five. Just one best of this summer. That's all. That's all. All right. Bye, everybody. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. We're the third men. 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 We're the third men.
everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not-for-profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100-plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process, and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough. But if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right. That's all from me. Remember, you can head to patreon.com slash thirdmenpodcast and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. All right, everybody. I'll see you on the show.